The Ozone. Welcome to the Ozone Podcast, presented by ViStar Credit Union, featuring Jaguar senior writer John Hosier and executive producer Dave DeCandis. The guest this week, I can't tell you how, how excited I am about it for, for multiple reasons. It's somebody I worked with, it's hard to believe, three decades ago at the Florida Times Union. The astute, older Times Union reader will certainly recognize this person. Uh, he is now very, very close, as, as close as maybe anybody in the media is, with new Jaguars head coach, Urban Meyer. Without further ado, I'll introduce Buddy Martin of the Buddy Martin Show. And Buddy, it's been a long time since we've talked. We have crossed paths a lot over the years. When I was covering Florida in the early 90s, we spent a lot of time together. But you, I guess, got to know Urban very well when he was the coach there. I want to get to that in a minute, but how have you been? And uh, tell me what you are doing now and about the Buddy Martin Show. Thank you, John. I just think back about that staff at the Times Union that we had. The people there were a young guy named Frank Frangi and a young guy named Matt Hayes, and we had a different, a, lot, a good group of people. And that was a good time I spent in Jacksonville. And even then, the seeds of the Jaguars were being it was being uh, were being planted because we were talking about one day having this NFL team in Jacksonville, sure. which most people thought was a pipe dream. You know, but I remember writing about it. What if, what if, and the things. And so here we are all these years later and uh, good to see you again and talk to you again. Look forward to having a chance to have you on the Buddy Martin show and podcast soon. We're on four nights a week and one uh, Friday, best Fridays of football. So John, it's good to hook up with you again. Fantastic. I, it's, it's funny when I introduce somebody as somebody I worked with 30 years ago, <laughs> it makes me feel great. The relationships last that long. It makes me feel very old, buddy. So, well, you were 15 then; I was 25. So that's how you know. That's right. That's right. We were uh, uh, among the younger people in our positions in the entire business at that exactly. point. Exactly. So, so that's well, how we're playing it, anyway. <laughs> well, tell me about Urban, and there's probably so much about him that we can't cover it all in one podcast. But I guess for fans who sort of know Urban from Florida. They know the person on the TV that they see it in the press conferences. You have gotten to know him better than that. Um, what do you respect the most about the guy? Uh, just give me an overview of maybe that, uh, your feelings and your relationships with the guy. I respect his commitment and his passion to the game of football and coaching and the way he tries to do it the right way. I respect that he knows there will be, as they say, hiccups along the way and failures, but he, his ability to get up and go at it again is remarkable. Uh, I respect that he does what he thinks is right despite the critics, and I respect that he celebrates football the way he does, and I've had the opportunity to be, as you pointed out, John, fairly close to him having written a book with Urban, his official biography in 2007. Uh, I would plug it, but I don't think you can buy it anymore. So anyway, it's called Urban's Way. And uh, some experiences I had over two years writing that book were really interesting. I'll tell you about some later if you'd like. Sure. And then, of course, uh, he w as he went to Ohio State, I was able to occasionally talk to him. I went up to see him for a game, and but didn't really maintain that much of a connection with Urban. And 
fortunately was able to pick up this podcast, Best Fridays in Football, that we had done for 23 consecutive weeks, which, by the way, he approached me about last summer in a rare call from him from a golf course. So yeah, I was, people can still find that on YouTube, correct? They can find those. Yeah, episodes. actually, it's not on YouTube. It's on. I hope okay. it's still up there. It's on a. If you go iTunes or if you go any of the okay. platforms, you can go. Uh, we do run it on um, the Buddy Martin Show Facebook Live on Fridays, but primarily anywhere you get your podcasts, look under Best Fridays in Football, the Urban Meyer Podcast. It was part of a. He was part of an ensemble with Terry Bradshaw and others that were there, but. Urban's podcast was always separate and 30 minutes of just one-on-one talk and over 23 weeks, you get to know a guy. Sure. uh, If you didn't know him before. And so I come away with great respect and admiration for Urban. I'm very happy. I texted him a quick note, just saying I was thrilled for him. Welcome home. Hashtag hope and opportunity, which is the title of a book. Probably you don't know about he's working on. We did a little work on it, and then we passed it off to somebody else, and the book is being written now, not by me, but will be out. I don't know when it's going to be out now, but uh, yeah, so hope and opportunity. So I, I really respect and love his loyalty, but sometimes I think his loyalty is what gets him in trouble. Sure. You mentioned something that caught my ear just then. Uh, celebrate the game of football. Hmm. What do you mean by that? Well, when we talked about the podcast, that was our goal, to to talk about, learn, and celebrate the great game of college football, college being the emphasis there. Sure. And what happens in our business as journalists, we always seem to wind up in the nooks and crannies of stories. And it sometimes you. becomes alienation. And now with the modern media, it's different. It didn't like it was back in the day. And I hate to sound like an old guy, but I am relationships used to be really important. And John, you know, they are because you, you had some yourself. Relationships are important. I don't like the word media and urban. And I talked about it in one of the podcasts, you know, he's doesn't listen, doesn't read. He really shuts himself off from it. And I said, urban, like it or not, you're part of the media here on Fox, you know, well, but I'm not, (laughs) I'm not one of those guys. I don't, you know, basically he's sort of saying he didn't look for clickbait. And I said to him, Urban, don't judge us all the same because we're not. And when you say media, I'm sorry, but Buddy Martin is not the same thing as the guy with 100 followers on Twitter, nor is John Osher or Frank Frangie or whatever. We're different kind of guys. We look for the story. And I said, wouldn't it be great if we could somehow get together with the voices of college football and coaches and journalists, true journalists, and say, we'd like to know the truth and we'd like to be able to use it in a positive manner. Doesn't mean we can't question it. So we can have actually a discussion because what we want is the same thing you want. We want this game to be even greater, but because of all the obstacles we have, because of all the internet activity, because of the bastardization of the truth, uh, we don't get there. And I wish we could have that. I said, but I guess we'll never have it. And he says, we'll probably never have it. You're right. So that's kind yeah, of just sad too to many me. obstacles. Yeah. For that. Too many right. obstacles. It, yeah. Um, when we talked about him a couple of days ago and uh, we talked for about 15 minutes the other day, where I just called you about urban and to set this up, you mentioned a few things that were interesting 
one of which there was a time when you talked to him that he particularly opened up. And I think you guys were talking about, like he would go into his lake house and it was really the first time that he opened up to you. Is there anything that you can share that you learned about him? And not to give away everything, because I'm sure there's stuff that he told you that he doesn't want out. But anything that you can give some insight on for fans who maybe just see the guy on the sidelines and they see the persona, is there something else there, I guess is what I'm getting at. I learned so much on the writing of the book. And the first thing I learned was, is that as soon as he had a player get in trouble in the spring of that year of 2007, a player got in trouble with the police by shooting off a shotgun and wound up getting kicked off the team. Urban canceled the book. He was so upset. Okay. And for those who thinks, think he is, uh, you know, he coddles criminals, just so you know, that's the side of Urban a lot of people don't know. And his good friend, Hiram DeFries, who was sort of his, I would say, administrative assistant, a former attorney uh, at Shell Lowell, a very successful man who didn't coach, but certainly was a consultant, said to me, look, buddy, we'll just go ahead and pay you and we'll cancel the book and go forward. I said, I don't want to do that. I don't want money. I wanted to write the book because you, they chose me to write the book. And they, he, he said, well, then if you'd like to do this, why don't you continue on with your pathway? I was in, a, I was in Atlanta headed to Augusta for the Masters. He said, why don't you just continue on your pathway? I'll give you access to whatever you need. And we will continue to work on the project, even though Urban says he doesn't want to write the book. Because one day, Urban will turn around and say, whatever happened to that book, we're going to write. So I said, okay, I'm in. And uh, I did it without getting paid. And in and, and, and then for the next, that would have been in April. Uh, so the next year uh, I had all kinds of access, which was incredible. I was granted access because of the book. It places no journalist has ever walked. And this is to could, the Florida 2007 season, correct? That's correct. I, I got mean, you. Okay. I mean, how, I mean, I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you it was an education for me. Thanks to Hiram primarily. I didn't have much access to urban. He was too busy but I had access to the program. I'll just say this real fast. A, I was able to listen in the headsets of the play calling for three or four wow. games. That was really interesting. Hearing Dan Mullen in the early days, you know, what was going on there. I was able to go on the field. I went to the locker room pregame, uh, locker room at halftime several times. I went to dinner with the team on Friday night, son. I mean, I had all run access. I went to their family days on Thursday. I uh, had there. I mean, I had all access. I didn't have it every day. Over a period of that time, I was educated about college football in a way that I never knew existed. So that was a quite an experience. And here's the thing about it. This is getting a long way to get to your answer. Yeah, you're fine. December that year, Florida had been uh, picked to go to the bowl game. Uh, this was in between national championships and I was at practice, which by the way, drove Steve McLean crazy. Cause I was able to go to practice and hide out. He didn't like it, but I was there and walking out of practice that day, urban turned and said, I guess we should probably get together and let me do this interview. I said, yeah, <laughs> the book is due out in six, six months or so. I'm waiting for the big sit down interview. 
And he said, all right, come to my house two days from now, my lake house, oh, Lake Melrose, and we'll get it started. And we'll go. And I said, okay, I'm there. Okay, so I arrived, and it was, you know, pitch black outside, trying to find the road down to the lake, and got down to the lake, and he was there, and, and he he was uh, with Steve McLean, which didn't make me real happy because I really didn't need anybody monitoring what I was doing. So I sat so Steve down. Steve McLean, for the listeners who don't know, is the director of communications of Florida. Correct. And I'm the PR guy and the protector of the shield, if you will. Exactly. So I wasn't going to be delayed or denied by that. And I just go do what I did. And McLean wasn't allowed to stop anything, but he was there to make sure that nothing went wrong doing his job. You know, that was what he's told to do by Jeremy Foley, I'm sure. But this wasn't an university of Florida project. This was an urban Meyer project and buddy Mark project. I say this because the way it's setting it up and that day we talked for four hours and it was pretty good. Talked about a lot of things, just the basics and background and what have you and on Florida, his, his coaching career, et cetera. And at the end of the four hour session, Urban looked at me and said, well, I guess we're going to do this again. Don't we? I said, we really do Urban because we got some more things to cover. And he said, okay, how about Thursday? And I looked at McLean and I realized and he realized that was Christmas Eve. <laughs> and so I said, sure, I'm in. And Steve went, uh, I'm going to be tied up, uh, you know, whatever. And I said, don't worry about it, McLean. We got to cut. Now, did Urban realize it was Christmas Eve? No. Okay, gotcha. Okay. That I was, didn't okay. care. So he was going to be there. <laughs> so <clears throat> that's typical full speed ahead, Urban Meyer. So the cool, this is the cool part of the story. He's a guy that people say is aloof. He doesn't tell you how he really feels. Some people question if he has a soul and so on. That's what people, the critics used to say. I didn't really know Urban that well. I show up on Thursday morning at, I don't know, 6 a.m. over there at that old store near Melrose. And he calls me and says, pick up some cream. So I went and got some cream and got it and drove down to his house by the lake there right on the shore and, with all the beautiful cypress trees out there. And and so he had gotten a, some kind of apple strudel or something made by the uh, a mother of one of the players there on the table, and he had the coffee ready. And so we poured the coffee, and we sat there for a minute and looked at each other and started talking about what we were going to do. We started the conversation. It wasn't really 10 minutes in the conversation. So you could see the sun just peeping, peeking over the edge of the horizon on the lake. And as we're talking and getting pretty intense discussion, he stopped and he turned. He looked at the sun coming up. He said, look at that. He said, that is so cool. He said, it reminds me of the mornings when I would get up with Nate, who was then like 10 years old, whatever it was, his son. We'd get the boat out and Nate would get his cornflakes. We'd go out on the boat, sit there and watch the sunrise over the lake. It was a great moment. And at that very moment, his soul opened up. And at that point, we had this fabulous conversation for the next four to five hours. All the many things that I wanted to hear, the stories that I heard, the things I wrote down, tape, whatever. The book was 80% done that day. So that taught me about Urban, who is, despite what you might think, very spiritual. Um, he, he's deep. 
He get, thinks deeply. He cares passionately. In that moment and the moments that followed, when I talked to over 50 people, formerly high school teammates, relatives, sisters, what have you, about Urban and learn more and more about him, it was then that his best friend told me, Urban probably won't coach in the NFL. Wrote about that, obviously. He said, sure. because what's going to happen is he will leave it all on the field of college. He'll probably spill his guts out and die right there on the sideline. Huh. That was pretty prophetic, I thought. Anyway, that was uh, where it started, and we did the book, and that's the story. That told me about Urban, the, the depth of his soul. Sure. It, it, and that's something that, uh, you know, it, I think you've alluded to it. And I, I don't know him, so I don't know, and I haven't studied it over the years to know exactly what people say about him. I don't pay that much attention to coaches I'm not covering in that sense. But you sort of alluded to it, that people think he's uh, soulless, the drive. But from what you say, that is because of the drive. You said you were around Florida's program but weren't around Urban that much because he was too busy. It really is a obsession. I guess that's the right word, but a singular focus of anything he's involved with. He doesn't have time to be – connected with people is that i'm saying a long way to get to it but i'm am i on to something there yes you're accurate in what you're saying that is kind of what uh is sort of the path uh he's as i said i think earlier he's a very simple complex man right um and and i think that is part of it right there and that you if you understand that about him you understand how you can get in trouble if you're so passionate about something and you're so loyal to them, because he believes truly he works for the players. He is the ultimate players coach and to a fault. And I've said this to him. We've talked about it on the podcast. Nick Saban has some of the same stuff. He does so many of the same things. He's a second, third, fourth, fifth chance guy, but you know, he gives you every opportunity, but he also penalizes you. He doesn't say it's okay. Well, forget about it. No, you will pay a penalty for what you do. Um, but if you want to, to try and rehabilitate yourself, you got a chance, but you better do it exactly like he says. So he's a strict disciplinarian, but not the same guy he was when he was kicking guys off the team at Colorado State. And, and my friend Irv Brown, the late Irv Brown, who was a former coach out there, coach baseball at UNC, said uh, he's another young Bear Bryant because he was so harsh and so strict. And one day, Sonny Lubick called him in and said, you know that guy that you just kicked off the team? He was our four-star recruit. And he said, well, I didn't kick him off. He said, but you know why he left? Because of you. He was really hard on players, but he he was demanding of them. So that was uh, the footprint. And then from there, they all got fired out there. Um, And uh, he wound up going to Bowling Green. And he had that unbelievable, he had his own junction. I'll tell you about that later at Bowling Green. I mean, he did, it was, he said I was a 32 year old coach out of control. Guys were running wind sprints and barfing. I mean, anyway, there's a story there and from each step, but he has matured and grown after each one in some fashion. He will tell you today, he's now 56 years. He's a different coach, but the question is how that affects his coaching. And that's something that in uh, listening to some podcasts and reading about him over the last week, 
there really is an ability to adapt. Sometimes when a coach has the personality that he does, which is the hard driving, there's a perception that they never change, you know, and, but the storyline through him and what you seem to be saying is he's had the ability to adapt and change over the course of his career, maybe to a pretty extreme, to a pretty extreme extent. No doubt. It speaks in his coaching. When you look at his teams at Florida, he won with Chris Leak. He won with Tim Tebow, completely polar opposites. He adapted right. his offense to fit that. He adjusted what he had to do. He's willing to, to adapt that. He is a great planner. Spurrier laughs at him and says, everybody's got a plan for everything, you know, and, <laughs> and he kind of does. And that's why the book was called the plan to win. And that's exactly what it was. A one page document called the plan to win. And people would come there and to study, of course, great success at Utah. And there's a tremendous story about that, about what he learned from the Polynesian players in uh, and, and, the, the the ability, his ability to adapt was never more present than that. And I think that's what, uh, if you've studied Urban Meyer, you know, he has a plan, but he had plan is adaptable. The core values are the same, but he can adapt. And I think that when players, when, when coaches would come to visit him at Utah or wherever, and they are even at Florida, they say, Hey, I want to learn about the, the, the spread option offense. He says, I didn't have any time for them. If they want to talk about the plan to win, I'll take the time. I see. I see. So, it, again, it goes back to what sort of was the theme around here last week, changing the culture. The culture is more important than, I guess, the X's and O's and how you're getting there. Exactly. Um, and I, I know Spurrier hates that word culture, but that is uh, that is actually a, a key. And speaking of culture, if I may, let me tell you the story of what happened in Utah which Absolutely. I think this will be in the book. I'm sure we talked about it some, and, and I know he, he brought it up when he was in Utah. The first time he had a chance to look at a portrait of his team in a couple of meetings, he noticed how the groups separated themselves. There was a group of blacks, a group of whites, a group of Asians, a group of Polynesians. And he said, time out. I want you all to change seats. We don't want this anymore. We're breaking down this division. So believe it or not, there's a large population of Polynesians in Salt Lake. And they're all obviously are some really good Polynesian players, particularly defensive linemen uh, and a few offensive linemen and players. And so he noticed he was having a problem coaching these Polynesians. <clears throat> So his friend Hiram DeFries is from Hawaii. He's also Polynesian. They got together and he says, we've got to go talk to some of the people in town. They're on the other side of town where their Polynesians live, we've got to go see what's going on here because we can't get these Polynesian players to respond. So they did. And Hiram, of course, being Polynesian himself. I mean, they wore, they wore grass skirts. They wore, I mean, they wore different gear. I mean, they were different. Sure. And, 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 uh, so Hiram and, and, um, and Urban got together and did a study on it. And they noticed that the Polynesian players, when they were being coached, would never look the coach in the eye. Okay. They, couldn't, they couldn't figure out why. And they went to talk to some of the elders. And they said, because Polynesians are taught never to look authority in the eye. I see. 
that changed everything. And how many coaches would take the time to do that? Right. Everything. He's a very academic guy. He doesn't read all that many books or whatever, but he loves to learn. And academics is a big, you know, his sister's, I don't know if she's the provost of the University of Cincinnati or whatever, but she's high up in the organization. They're a very uh, intelligent academic family. So, so that's one thing. He approaches the game mentally, very smart guy, very smart, and he does study the culture. And then you mentioned earlier the uh, Junction Boys story and sort of how he's changed from that. I know you wanted to tell that story, and I want to hear it. Well, at Bowling Green, his first head coaching job, uh, he – had to come in and change a lot of things. First of all, there was really no study hall and no academic counseling. So he, along with a couple other coaches, began to teach study hall and get into studies and teach kids how to study. That was a very big yeah. thing for him. And But he is famous for breaking a team down before they start. If you look at Florida, what he did there, you probably remember when he first came in there, uh, he couldn't get a response, so he took away everything from them. And he asked what they call the Champions Club. And the Champions Club, the great out there's being the people who practice the best, play the best, whatever, during the offseason, they are given perks. And at the meal table, they get to eat steaks and they get to eat great food. And the, and the other guys who are in the Champions Club have to eat bologna and what have you. It's just the way <laughs> it is definitely a distinction. He wants it to be known. And during that time at Florida, before I get back to Bowling Green, he took away the big alligator there that's in the hallway. And when you go in the locker room, he took away all kinds of gear and let them earn it back. And he put the stripe on every young player's, every rookie's helmet, and they had to earn their stripe by taking it off. And so it was very, very ceremonial in that regard. But at Bowling Green, to get their attention, he decided to take them all into the gymnasium, lock the doors, make them run, 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 run till they collapse. They station garbage cans in each corner of the gym with garbage bags and everybody barfed their guts out. And it was a, really a horrible day, horrible, horrible scene. <laughs> and, of course, players quit some. And that was okay with him. If they couldn't last that way, they weren't going to last on the team. They wound up with a core uh, of players enough to be able to go out and be competitive and win. But as he says now, looking back on that, that was a 32 or 33-year-old coach out of control. He would never do that again. So he's kind of – he's a big believer. He, he majored in psychology. So he knows about Pavlov's dog. He knows about response and what have you. So that's the techniques he has used. And over the years, different ways, different, different teams, different games, he's used – those things. I don't know if we're going to call it urban's back of tricks or not, but it's not real. I think that's the question. A lot of people have, there are two questions. I'm going to jump ahead of you. There are two sure. questions that people are going to ask about urban. Number one, how long will he coach? Will his health hold up? Um, and, and can his way of coaching, uh, can you coach that way? And will professional players respond like college players did? Those are two big questions. So, now that you've asked the questions. Wait, John, do I have to ask him and answer him too? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, no, I'm good. You're my mentor. That's, you're 30 years ahead. No, of no, I know. I, I know. I was only kidding you. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know the answers. I can give you a guess. That's all it is, educated guess. Uh, 
And I've talked to some people about his health, not medically, but I did have one good doctor friend who said, look, I'm not a, you know, I don't, I'm not a, a neurologist. I can't tell you about the cyst in his brains. I can tell you what I think I heard and read, whatever. Um, and uh, I said to the doctor who knows him pretty well, can his health be managed? And he said, yes, it can. Okay, yes. good, good. So, 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 and he was, you know, he was an honest guy. And, and so the arachnoid cyst in his brain, which by the way, apparently I'm not a doctor, obviously, or he was a medical expert, but apparently at the end of his career at Florida, it flared up and caused him to almost collapse or do collapse on the sideline is I guess it's exacerbated by stress. I don't know. Apparently it got bad. Cannot be. It's not, it's inoperable. You can't operate it. Uh, it was drained. I understand. Then he went to Ohio and had the same thing happen where he passed out in the field. Um, and uh, of course, ultimately he stepped down for other reasons, but that became a concern. His family was very concerned about it. He could never sign off. And when I said, Urban, you're going to coach again. He would say, well, I won't never say never, but he said, I have to, my family's got to kind of approve it, you know? So, so that was, that's a big issue. And for those people who say that, don't get me started on this subject, who say he created his fake injury or illness to get out of a job. That is crap. That is not true. I know that for a fact, but people like to use it against him. Well, you know, everybody will have a heart attack. Well, first of all, he never had a heart attack. That's number one, but trust me, it's like his friend said, when urban goes, he'll, be, he'll collapse on the field. So he, he, he gives everything he's got. So, yeah. so, so that would be the health question. I think how long I, I tried to make an estimate of this the other day, John, he's what 56, right? He'll be 57 in July. Uh, let's say let's give him three to four years there at least because, you know, till 60, uh, I I'm just guessing, I don't have any information, uh, sure. any, but I'm thinking that he, he would certainly like to make it to 60. And, and I would think there's no reason why I can't unless the losing gets to him. And that's what everybody talks about. I'll tell you in a minute about that. My conversation with sure. Steve Spurry about that, but so, so where were we? Uh, yeah. The health question is a big one. Uh, I, I think in my opinion, uh, I think he will manage his health because he has changed. He does things differently. Um, and he, I think he'll coach there at least three to five years, maybe more. Uh, some of the people ask me, what's he going to do? How will he, he will succeed depending on what your definition of success is. My good close friend, Terry Bradshaw, who I've been good friends with for 30 years, no serving a little bit. Now he says he thinks he'll be a big success as a coach in the NFL because he's smart and he has a plan and he's a really good guy, a good coach. So, so how long? Well, I'm giving it three to five years. Uh, and I'm a guessing people. So what's he going to do? How's he going to do it? The question is under the NFL's format where it's a good year when you lose four games, can right. he take the hit of those four games and realize like Steve Spurrier said, you know, you just, you want to aspire to go out and go, you know, 10 and six or whatever. If you can, it's okay to lose four or five because you know, it's hard to win in the NFL. How will that impact Urban? He's been asked that question. He's going to be asking a thousand more times. That's a big <laughs> one, but I can't answer it. So obviously what's in front of him now is assembling a right coaching staff, which we know he's doing now. He will have a big, he will have a strong organization. He's a big organization guy. 
find his franchise quarterback. We think we've identified it, but we don't know 100% that that's going to happen. But it looks like they've got their guy in Lawrence. I don't think Fields will be the guy. But anyway, what do I know? It depends on the moment. Uh, and then the question is, can he win? Can he motivate the players in this way? And how will it be different? And I'm, I'm looking at something like this. Again, simply guessing. Well, they win one game this year, right? Correct. Let's say that I think they're going to win five or six next year. Let's just say five. So he goes five and 11. If you look at his record, he's done very well the second year of his jobs. Yeah. Every year. Really good at Florida. (laughs) 2006, a national champion. Um, And so I I think him, but it's harder to win. And your quarterback's probably only then beginning to learn how to play. So I'm going to be conservative. I'm going to go eight and eight. Man, maybe, you know, maybe eight, maybe, maybe a little better, but eight and eight, 500 slightly above. In three years at least, if not two, he will be in the playoffs, 11, 12 wins, and he'll be competing. And I think if he does that, obviously he's been a success. Uh, Shot Khan is, uh, I've got himself a winner. Um, I'm not going to make a prediction because I don't know. Sure. But I think as he shoots forward, it goes to age 60. By the time he is 60, if he's happy with life, which, by the way, he has been very happy with his life, uh, he may hang it up and say, I've done my four or five years. I brought the franchise around. Thank you very much. I'll, got my, I'll keep my home at Ponte Vedra or wherever he buys one. Um, you know, and, uh, and, and I'll, I'll be a fan. I'll go to the front office and help out. That's my best projection. It's only a guess. Did you, in uh, spending a lot of time with him in the fall, did you get any sense that he was preparing for this? And did you get any sense of what his focuses were in terms of NFL, what he was thinking about, conversations he was having? Or maybe it didn't come up. You're talking about college football. In a word, no. Right. Um, And I, I said 23 consecutive weeks of at least 30 minutes, sometimes more. Sometimes an hour that somebody didn't record. We talked about it, talked about it. And remember that, John, every week he was being mentioned for another job. That's so, right. Yeah. That's right. Texas. I mean, there's every college job that came up, but we hope to get Urban Meyer. Every. And I finally said to him, could you give me Trace Armstrong? He's not his agent now. Could you give me your agent? I want him to, I want to get him as an agent because every job that comes open, your name is in it. <laughs> and, and somebody said, well, you know, he likes that attention. No, he doesn't. He doesn't even like right? attention okay. that much. He, I mean, yeah, he does. He want his name to be brought up. Yeah. But he's not the one doing it. And he's interested. And I said, well, what, why don't you address it? Because no matter what I say, it will be used against me in some fashion, social media. So, or the coach is already there. Like Tom Harmon was, he didn't want to undercut anybody. So he just didn't speak publicly about it. And, and so, he would say, I'm not going to say I'm not going to coach again because you never know. But right now I don't have plans to. Right. And I went back to October the 16th and listened to the podcast, which by the way, I think is still up on iTunes. Okay. As I said, and I'm, I, I can, I'm going to be playing, replaying some on our show on Fridays occasionally. Good bites, by the way, really good. Uh, you know, he, he is, as he said, I'm very happy in my life. I love my job at Fox. I love being around my grandchildren, although I couldn't see them much because of COVID. Uh, and he said, I, I'm, I'm not, I, I, at this point in time, it's not likely, but that was college ball. And I kept hearing these rumblings about the NFL. 
and I heard about the Jack, and I never really asked you about the NFL. I think I asked him about the Cleveland Browns one time. Right. Uh, but, and he sort of just dismissed it. And he wasn't being dishonest. I don't think he really knew. I think he sure. knew. I think, I think he thought about, well, I got this in my back pocket if I want to pursue it, you know? And then things began to heat up. And obviously, in Con had some great conversations. I'm just guessing. I, I don't know what he like, said. And I was, if you asked me to put my money down, John, back in October, which way I'm going, 60 40 against him coaching. Gotcha. And then finally, I went on, I became 60 40 as later in the year that he would coach. The love he has for players that have sort of led to the philosophy of second, third, fourth chances, uh, that is a real thing that maybe people brush over with him, but don't realize that it's the core. Um, is there anything else you can talk about that in terms of just how important that is to his philosophy and how much that means to him? The trust, the, uh, that relationship. Cause it really seems like it defines him. It's everything to him. And he said to me on several occasions, in the podcast, when I took a job at Utah or Bowling Green or Florida, whatever I would say, and I still say this, I don't work for the university of Florida. I don't work for you. I work for the players and their parents. That's my commitment. And when you hand off your son to me in the living room and say that, then I have a responsibility to do the best I can for him. He said, my, my kids are all played college sports. I trust the coach the same way. So he said, I believe that is with all my heart. That's about the players. And every conversation we talked about, it was always the players, the players, the players. Now, there have been examples where he's gotten bitten in the butt on it. There's a lot of misconceptions. I don't know everything about Urban. I know some of the things that are being written and said about him are absolutely blatantly false and inaccurate. Uh, but I, I know that's what he believes. Now, how does that factor in? And I even said to him sometimes, I said, you know, Urban, people think that you're loyal to a fault. You give people too many chances, you know? And he said, no, I don't. I think I believe in that. I said once to a player, to his associate, Hiram, what's the deal on this player? You guys suspended him. No longer with the team. What does that mean? Is he never going to play again? What? He said, no. So what exactly is it? I mean, how many chances can a guy get? Will he ever play again? He said, that depends. I said, depends on what? This is Hiram. He said, well, <laughs> if I put him in Hawaii in a rowboat, and give him one oar. If he works his way back, then he'll play. So there were some <laughs> very harsh penalties. And if you look at his, if you look at his record, and John, you're a smart guy. And you look at 2006 in particular, and to some degree, 2008. Toward the end of the season, he brought back players who were in trouble earlier in the year, and they played a major factor in some of the big games. Mm-hmm. So he was, I call him a preservationist. He would take things off the junk pile and reuse them. He would take these players that some people would have dismissed and banned. But because they proved themselves in the grades or because they did all the punishments, because they did the protocol, he brings it back for the last two games. And they show up and they show out. And that's the strength of his. Because the other thing Urban does, they had a 95-man roster at Florida. He made sure every single one of them got coached right down to the 95th. They hmm. all get coached. And well, every coach says that, but he doesn't. He doesn't. I've yeah. seen it with my own eyes. He coaches every player on that roster. 
maybe not himself personally, everyone, but he, he knows them all and he does make sure they get coached and player development is a very big thing. And that's Dan Mullen's strength, which he got somewhat from Urban Meyer. So anyway, yeah. So that's kind of who he is. I hope I'm giving you an accurate portrayal. No, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. It's, uh, you know, again, as I said, when you spend enough, when you spend as much time around a guy as you have, I've had the opportunity to do extensive stories as well, obviously. And I know there's always things that you can't get to. And there's a million things we could talk about. Is there anything that we haven't discussed today that you think I'm missing? Anything about him that is mainly the, uh, it's made the misunderstood because I think there's a, a perception of him that I'm sure is not, you know, as we talked about accurate, anything we've missed or have we given a pretty good overview? Well, I think it's pretty good. I, there's a lot of things we haven't talked about, but I want to say one thing and I don't want it to be sure. misunderstood. I'm not here to fight Urban Myers battles. I'm not his defense attorney. Okay. That's not my job, <laughs> but I think there's been a wrong, uh, he, he's been wronged by some people. Uh, and I get in trouble on this when we talk about it on the show to a point where I don't talk about it anymore. And I've lost friends over this, by the way. And you say the name Urban Meyer to five people. There'll be at least one and maybe two who will say bad things about him. Mm-hmm. And let's just make up somebody say, he's a scumbag. He has no integrity and he left us high and dry. Not true. I know the man's heart somewhat. And what puzzles me is how this image has been portrayed. And it's almost like QAnon. People have an alternative truth. They want to be believe what they want to believe. You try it. You talk to people. And I've sure. talked to a lot of fans, a lot of people. Look, if you don't like our remark, that's fine with me. I don't care. That's, that's up to you. I'm not here to go out and winning friends. I just think when you ask people why, they tell you they know this and they do not know it because I can tell you for a fact that when they say, well, he was a, there was a, there was a plan all along when he left Florida and he went to ESPN, he was going to go, he had a plan of mine to go to Ohio state. That is total BS. I can tell you, I know because one quick story, I remember was of the ESPN, I think maybe five, six weeks, whatever it was that year, uh, first year out of coaching. And he called me, which he doesn't do very often. And he said, could you come for coffee? I thought, well, I don't live next door. I'm in Ocala, you know, I didn't say that. <laughs> but of course, when he calls you, you go, right? So I went to his home in Gainesville and walked in and Shelly was there and she left a coffee cake, whatever coffee. We went to his lanai and we sat and talked. And he said to me, he said, I want you to take this book. It's a book about a, it's a fictional book about a coach who kind of sells his soul in high school and what he learned by it. Herbert loved it. In fact, he actually wrote a forward for it. And we talked about coaching. We talked about coaches and about doing things the right way and the wrong way. And in and, and general, and I think I asked him, do you think you might coach again? He says, I don't want to say anything around Shelley, but I'm thinking about it, but I don't know. Not yet. Maybe, <laughs> in, maybe in a couple of years. I don't know. I don't know. Well, at that point in time, uh, Luke Feckel was a coach at Ohio state and I, everybody could see it and do the handwriting on the wall. I said, Irving, what are you going to do when Ohio State comes looking for a coach? He said, well, they got one. I said, they're going to have him all season. You know, I said, no, he said, he's already there and, you know, and they got a coach. I said, Urban, if you think you want a coach, I said this to him. 
That's why I know he didn't have any plans. If you're ever going to coach again, you're going to have to step up because this is your opportunity because Ohio State won't be available next year. He says, well, I don't want to think about that right now. I really don't want to think about it. So you're going to have to think about it. I'm the one (laughs) telling him, so I know there was no diabolical plan to do that, right? But if you ask a a Gator, they'll say, well, he was going to leave us high and dry. I'll give you a great factoid. I'm saving it for a story I'm writing this week. If you just go ahead and do your own test about what do you don't, what is you don't like or hate about Urban Meyer? And that's fine. And people will say, well, he left us high and dry. As a colleague of mine wrote the other day, Urban Meyer coached six years at Florida, not six months. All right. Secondly, right. aside from the two national championships, and he apparently researches, and I haven't checked it out yet. He said, people, you know, say he betrayed and whatever. He said, on 100 years of Florida football, only four coaches stayed longer. <laughs> yep. So there's yep. one thing. I could go on. There's other things. You know, that he coddles criminal players. Not true. He's forgiving, maybe to a fault, loyalty. But, you know, they, well, you know, they, they get all these criminals, let them run, run them up. So there's a lot of misconceptions, and Urban does nothing to try and change their minds. He, he just does what he does. So, so I think if you ask me, you know what? That's the one story, and I don't think it'll come into play much in Jacksonville. That's part of the history, and it will come up again and again. But do your own poll and just ask people, hey, what do you think of Urban Meyer? It's like saying red state or blue state. Immediately, people will get <laughs> polarized. You know, They get polarized. Why? I don't understand. That's a mystery to me right there. Well, powerful personalities tend to be polarizing, and that's – that's just the reality. Well, buddy, I could go on and on about how much respect I have for you, how much I value our relationship, and how much I appreciate you doing this. Fantastic stuff, and I think fans who are listening to this, if they open up their ears, will have learned a lot about Urban Meyer. So I want to thank you so much. I look forward to being on your podcast with you. I look forward to talking to you about Urban over the years. Thank you so much, buddy Mark. My pleasure, and I want to make sure I get the information back to you. We're going to put those all those bites on Urban someplace where your people will be able to get them. And we're going to go back to an archive of the best of Urban Meyer on the Urban Meyer podcast, Best Rice in Football. I'll let you know where it is. Fantastic, buddy. We appreciate you. Thank you, John. <laughs>